0: Is the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt, a biblically faithful film? How do we confront our parents if our parents have been in sin? And when we get to heaven, will missing limbs be restored? The answers when we understand the text.
1: Merry Christmas from your friends at When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary that we may grow in our love for Christ, who came into the world to save sinners. Tell your friends about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. You're welcome.
0: We have some Christmas stuff we're going to be doing here today. Yay! But let me begin with Psalm 7 out of the Legacy Standard Bible. A little bit longer Psalm. This is 17 verses, so I'm just going to do through verse 5. Okay. Then we'll pick up the rest next week. Psalm 7 in verse 1. O Yahweh, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. Oh, Yahweh, my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to him who is at peace with me or have plundered my adversary without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life down to the ground and cause my glory to dwell in the dust. Selah. Hmm. Now, this is a man that cares about justice. Definitely. So much so that if I have done unjustly, Mm -hmm. let justice be done against me. Yeah. Because I have been unjust. That's very humble. Exactly. If I have injustice in my hands, if I've rewarded evil to him who is at peace with me or have plundered my adversary without cause, then may punishment come upon me. Yeah. So when we were back in Psalm five, which is a more uh, imprecatory psalm, yeah, praying for judgment to come upon his enemies, we had right. talked about there how this is not David wanting the people that he doesn't like right. to get their comeuppance, <laughs> right? This is him desiring that God's justice would be done in the earth, right? That his name would be exalted and proclaimed, and that those who would blaspheme or misuse it. Would face judgment, right? And so here, David even puts himself in that place, yeah. Saying, "If it's me, if I've done unjustly, mm-hmm. then let justice come upon me, that God's name may be exalted."
1: Yeah, it's it just uh, it amazes me that it's it's still so so um, applicable today. Because whenever we're going through our trying times, the people against the Lord and doing wrong that we've tried to correct. Um, mostly you, they, they came back at you saying that you were doing wrong. And so, you know, it makes you question, you know, am mm-hmm. I really doing wrong right? or is, is everything, you know, still biblically?
0: <laughs> yeah. That's gaslighting.
1: Yeah. It really so, is you know,
0: where you have somebody just constantly accusing you of something. You're like, I don't know. Maybe I am guilty of that. Yeah.
1: You know? But ju- I mean, just to make sure that your heart is in the right place and you are doing it biblically, How you're supposed to.
0: Yeah, self-examination is good. Right. And testing yourself before the Lord. Yeah. God, show me if I'm wrong.
1: Right. And I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. Is it it not? Like, yeah?
0: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, he's coming before God and, and saying, test my thoughts. Yeah. Try my ways. But later on in Psalm 139, we have the same sort of a thing. Yeah. Examine my thoughts. Let there be no unrighteous way in me. Right. So what sort of things am I even thinking about that might be displeasing to God? Mm. May I be convicted over that? Yeah. Search my innermost thoughts that there would be no wicked way in me at all. Right. And that every way of mine would be done unto the glory of God.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that whenever I become complacent, that I'm like, you know, what am I What am I forgetting? What am I missing? Yeah, What sin am I doing yeah. right now that it's kind of like I don't realize? Where are my
0: blind spots?
1: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously I'm not growing, so yeah. what's going on, you know?
0: This is something we need the church to help us with. Yeah. We need other people, other solid Christians, believers, to... See in our lives the areas where we may need some work. Yeah, and that's a good, helpful thing. Later on in the Psalms, let a righteous man strike me; mm. it is a kindness. Yes, <laughs> and yes. let my head not refuse it. Yes, and I think it was—it uh, was a couple of weeks ago we had mentioned that proverb: "Profuse are the kisses of an enemy." Yes.
1: Definitely. Now, he's
0: going to flatter you and make you feel good and tell you all the things that you want to hear. But a good friend right. is going to help you grow in holiness and righteousness, even yeah. helping you with those blind spots. You may not know that you need to bring before God mm-hmm. and be sanctified yeah, in those areas. definitely. Well, this is the Friday edition of When We Understand the Text, when we take questions from the listeners. And you can submit those questions to Text at gmail.com. We've got a few questions here. I organized all these. I put these in here, and now I can't even remember what I put in here.
1: What? So
0: we might both be pleasantly surprised by what I come up with on this list. Awesome. One of the things that I mentioned last week is that I had said something on Twix, <laughs> Twitter slash X, yeah, in which uh, you know I challenged those. People who think that Christmas has pagan origins. Mm-hmm. So I triggered the Christmas is pagan people. Uh-oh. And if we got some time at the end, I'll read some of their comments. But I can't at least begin with this poll. Okay. I asked this question on December 14th. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? Here's your options. Yes, no. No, but with some pagan traditions. Mm. And then I don't know. So I had six hundred and five votes. The yes people, 7.6%. Okay. seven point six percent.
1: Okay, seven out of a hundred. That's smaller than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right.
0: Seven out of a hundred are saying yes. Christmas is a pagan holiday.
1: Yeah, that's a smaller camp than I was expecting.
0: With the responses that I got on my, uh, they
1: must not have voted. They just left a comment. It must have been.
0: It must have been because I was like, surely I was going to get more yeses than that. But no, it was only uh, only seven point six percent. Huh. Seventy two percent said no. Okay. 18% said no, but with some pagan traditions. Mm. So you still only have 7.6% saying yes. Right. And then 2.3% saying, I don't know.
1: There's always the I don't know, because you know they're just checking the poll
0: to see whether everybody else. (laughs) I haven't really looked into this. (laughs) I don't really care. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just want to see what the results are here. I mean, it is true that there are some pagan traditions that have crept their way into Christmas. The, the, the very notion of Santa Claus and everything yeah. that's connected with that.
1: Well, I was going to say, like, what type of Christmas are we talking? Are we talking like the biblical, like Jesus being born, you know, at this time? Yeah, we're or worshiping God it, for the
0: incarnation. Is
1: it like the full blown Christmas of that everybody, majority, I can't say everybody, the majority of people? participated like Santa and elf
0: on a shelf yes oh my goodness
1: <laughs> and i think there's one other thing that they tried to push to it was like in addition to elf on the shelf well the whole commercialization <laughs> of like, christian oh my uh, goodness <laughs>
0: yeah the whole commercialization of christmas is itself you know it's materialism it's worldly right so there's something paganistic about that
1: well yeah they want you to buy their products
0: yeah anybody who is Celebrating Christmas, but not unto the glory of God, mm-hmm. is bringing paganism into the holiday.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: But that very word "holiday" means holy day. Mm-hmm. It is a day that is set apart.
1: Oh, and that while
0: makes sense. while we honor the incarnation of Christ every day, I don't know about you, but I'm celebrating that every time we gather as a church. Yeah, it's not just when. Christmas falls on a Sunday, which this year it's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is going to be on a Sunday. Yes. But every single Sunday we're celebrating that God became man. Yep. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, as you yes. said in the opener. And uh, and also celebrating that he died and rose again. So yes. the same things that we recognize at Easter. Easter we're, yeah. we're celebrating every Sunday. Yep. If you celebrate Christmas to the glory of God... There is nothing pagan about that whatsoever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also one of those things where, as it said in Romans 14, don't quarrel about days. Right. If you want to celebrate Christmas, great. If you don't, you think it's something pagan, so we're not going to do it. That's fine, too. Yeah. But don't quarrel over it. Right. Don't bring these disputes over opinions into the body and belittle one another and and divide.
1: Right. You're supposed to build each other up.
0: Yeah. Encourage one another, building each other up in love. Yeah. All right. This question here, I did not include a name. Oh, yes, I did. It's in the very beginning. I just didn't put the signature at the end. So this is Brad from Mississippi. Okay. Dear Pastor Gabe and Madam Becky.
1: Oh, so formal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for what you guys are doing. Brad from Mississippi Gulf Coast here. I'm new to the podcast side of your work. But I have been familiar with your YouTube videos, first seeing them featured on Wretched TV in the mid to latter 2010s. Nice. I've been binge listening to your podcast for the last two weeks. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I'm writing this email after listening to your special Saturday episode to give us a review of the journey to Bethlehem. And I want to thank you for sitting through that for us to let us know how far off course it was. Mm. Becky is also grateful that I sat through that yep. alone, alone and not with me. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> Thank you. She would.
0: <laughs> she would have been way more disgusted at the Mary character than I was.
1: Uh, <laughs> just a little bit you've shared with me has been <laughs> cringing.
0: <laughs> Becky would have got up in the middle of it and went, "Ain't yep. nobody got time for that," and walked out. Yes, that would have been her response. So, Brad goes on, I did have hopes that it would be near as good as The Prince of Egypt was. Oh, yeah. Setting apart the minor difference from scripture it has, I still cherish the movie, talking about The Prince of Egypt, Mm -hmm. and I look forward to to your review of that movie as well. That will be on the Saturday special tomorrow. Awesome. Please don't stop the mission you guys have, and may you continue being blessed and bringing glory to our king. Hmm. Brad, a pleasure to have a new listener. Yeah, and thank, thank you, you, yeah, thank you for taking the time to email us and share that with us. So I, I I'm going to say this about the Prince of Egypt. Mm-hmm. I like the movie. Yeah, I like the film. I enjoyed sitting and watching it with the kids. Yeah, when I did the same kind of review that's going to be posted on the uh, on the Saturday special tomorrow.
1: Well, that alone says a lot because you sat and watched it with the kids. with my
0: kids. That's yeah. right. So that's got to say something about it. Like I said uh, when when I plugged this on, well, I think we talked about it last week, didn't we? Did I say something about the Prince of Egypt last week?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: So Saturday, this past Saturday, was the twenty fifth anniversary, right, of when it was released in theaters, right? So because it was the twenty fifth anniversary, I wanted to watch it again. It's been years since I've seen it. Uh huh. I know. I. It's w-
1: always good to have a refresher. Because, I mean, you know, your brain remembers the fun parts or the terrible parts. It doesn't remember like anything in between.
0: (laughs) I wasn't going to sit down and like do a review of a film I haven't seen in 10 years. You know, (laughs) I had to watch it again. This is my
1: review of what I remember.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it just so happened on the streaming service that we're subscribed to, the movie was there. So it was like, oh, great. I don't have to rent it or pay extra for it. Yeah. Here we go. So I did enjoy the film. However, somebody had messaged me. And said, would you recommend the movie? Uh-huh. I don't recommend Bible movies. No. That's a different category. Yeah. Saying that I enjoyed a film is one thing. Recommending the film is something else. Yeah. They never get it right. Nope. And so to me, it's like, watch it if you won't. Uh, watch. watch it if you won't. Yeah, watch it if you want Want or don't watch it if you don't want or won't. Anyway, won't. i you know, I'm trying to recover there and yeah, I'm nope. not getting it. Anyway, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so if you want to watch the movie, just watch the movie. But don't think of that as an endorsement of me saying, hey, it's so biblically accurate. In what right. It's, it's not. not. It's not. Yeah. You're talking about a film that's made by people who do not have the fear of God mm-hmm. and do not tremble at his word. Yeah. As said in Isaiah, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And these filmmakers have come up with a story they think is better mm-hmm. than the Exodus account. So they're not humble and contrite in spirit, and they don't tremble at the word of God. Right. So you're not going to get a story that is honoring of the account that we have in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The actual biblical account as inspired by the Holy Spirit with the author of the text. Right. That's not what you're seeing in the Prince of Egypt. You're you're watching a Hollywooded up version of this story that they think is a better tale mm-hmm. because they don't think of it as being true. They think of it as being, you know, there's there's fiction, story. Elvis. right. They think it's mythology. Yeah. That's the way that they approach the source material. Yeah. Even though there were quote unquote people of faith mm-hmm. who were advisors on the film and kind of, you know, put their own endorsement behind it. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's going to look great in theaters. Paige Patterson, I was told, was one of them. Oh, okay. Former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he yeah. was one of the advisors on this film and said it was a great movie. I can't say that about the movie about the, about the story element of the movie. Right. It is an epic film. The music is terrific. The animation yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah. Quite captivating and breathtaking. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it in the theater when I was eighteen.
1: Oh really? Yeah,
0: but yeah. I just wonder. Did Sorry, I? Ha- I
1: didn't do the math. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> like, wow, that was that's been a minute.
0: <laughs> did I have the? Was I this awestruck by it when I was looking at it on a big screen? I don't yeah. remember. I don't quite remember. I know I would not have been as mature in my faith, even though I was very knowledgeable of the Exodus story because uh-huh. it was one of the first books of the Bible that my dad took me through when I was right. a kid. So. Right. As I've grown in the word, you know, watching those kinds of inaccuracies, it's hard to tolerate. Yeah. It is really hard to tolerate. This is not just a movie, like you're watching a Disney film. Yeah. You can watch Sleeping Beauty. Right. And appreciate the phenomenal animation in that film, which that, that is one of the most spectacularly drawn movies yeah. ever. Right. Uh, you can appreciate that, but that, you know, is fiction. Right prince of egypt is supposed to be an adaptation of a true story right and yet you don't get the sense if you know the story you don't get the sense that the filmmakers were as appreciative of the source material Mm. and so yeah for that reason i can't endorse it i can't put something behind it to say that it's a biblically faithful film it's not
1: it it is an adaptation Mm -hmm. of the biblical story
0: yeah it's it's bait i wouldn't even say it's an adaptation (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, it's not even that close.
0: I think it because borrows. They, they
1: always like you know it's this as um, based on a true story. You know, kind of those, something to those that liners, effect. Yeah, you know, like right. it's not the true story, but it's it's uh, you know close in places.
0: kind yeah. of Yeah, we we were inspired by the story right. of Moses. Something right. to that effect.
1: Yes, that would be more accurate.
0: Yeah, but it's it's not faithful to the text. This is no. a movie, and I'll say this tomorrow in my review as well. But this is a movie that is about. Two men who basically grow up as brothers, Uh which the Bible does not give us that kind of relationship between Moses and Pharaoh. Right. So uh, Pharaoh, of course, doesn't even have a name in Scripture. We don't know his name. Right. And it's very likely because he's blotted out of God's book. That's why we don't know which Pharaoh this was, at least according to the text. Mm -hmm. This Pharaoh has been given the name Ramesses in the movie, which was also the name of Pharaoh in the Ten Commandments. Incidentally.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: um, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston. Uh
1: Uh-huh. They just like the name, huh? Yeah,
0: they right. And this movie, The Prince of Egypt, is closer to a remake of the Ten Commandments Hmm. than it is an adaptation of the story from Exodus. Hmm. So they name their pharaoh Ramesses, and he grows up as a brother to Moses. And now these two men oppose one another. When Moses wants to free his people from slavery and Pharaoh is saying, I will not let my people go. Mm-hmm. The book of Exodus is about God. Right. It is about God. Yes. It is not about Moses and Pharaoh. Right. But that's the way that we, that, that's the way this story is typically whittled down to even many preachers do this. Mm-hmm. We'll make Exodus about like the Israelites are the good guys and the Egyptians are the bad guys. Actually, everybody in that story is a bad guy. Right. <laughs> The only one who is righteous is God. And it is the fulfillment of the statement that he made to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy Mm -hmm. and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Yeah. This is God who does this. It is he who is exalted. It is his name that is proclaimed in all the earth. And the movie does not do that, does not give glory and exaltation to God. Yeah. Although there are some pretty fantastic scenes in the film that you would think are biblically faithful, you still have to remember when you're watching this, this is coming from filmmakers who don't have the fear of God in their hearts. Yeah. And don't honor or exalt God's word. Mm -hmm. That's why I can't endorse it.
1: advisors should be a little bit more strong. (laughs) (laughs) Strongly opinionated.
0: Yeah, so I read in one of the um uh, trivia things to the movie, um one of the producers had consulted 600 faith experts.
1: How do you even take them seriously? Like the, you're just going to at 600? 600. Over how long of time?
0: I don't know. I don't I don't know. That's just one of the pieces of trivia. So he consulted 600 men who were like faith experts and you know, this could be Catholics, Jews, yeah. Orthodox, Okay. Um, you, uh, As well as Protestants, obviously, sure. since Paige Patterson was one of the guys that was apparently one of these advisors. Yeah. <laughs> so you have these different people that are advising on the movie. They're obviously giving story tips, but they're also giving their endorsement. They're saying, yeah, this is a good movie. Everybody go see it. They want to have their name attached to it. Yeah. I would never have put my name on this.
1: But isn't there something to, like, having too many advisors, like... Um,
0: no, I mean, there's nothing like that in scripture, but you still, (laughs) you still need to have, like,
1: there's caution. Like,
0: well, you, uh, I mean, you could probably make it comparable to when Ahab consulted his wise men and the wise men are all saying, you are, you are great King Ahab. You're going to go into battle and you're going to succeed. And Micaiah is the one one guy that stands up and goes, no, No. you're going to die. You are miserable,
1: (laughs) miserably." (laughs) <laughs> yeah. have a miserable death
0: and then ahab looks at uh, at jehoshaphat and said did i not tell you that he was always he was always going to be my antagonist in in all of this yep so anyway uh now i'm
1: curious as to who was the antagonist on that 600
0: <laughs> yeah right who's the one guy that advisors. stood out it was probably john macarthur <laughs> they consulted him. macarthur's like uh guys this is not close what are you talking about and then the producer's going did i not tell you he was he was gonna be that guy i told you
1: uh that's funny
0: look for that review tomorrow there are some things i'm a little more positive about this film than i was about journey to bethlehem but it's still you know not faithful to the text so you're not going to get my endorsement even though i think it's well done right it's a well animated movie but they fall far short of the glory of god amen for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god romans 3 23. all right this next one from the office calvinist we've had a question from him on the program before hey gabe and becky hope you are doing well and that the works the lord has called you to in Casagrande will be joyous to you and your family Hmm. i have a question that pertains to your q a episode 2055 specifically in regard to excommunicated family members. Mm. My question is how can the children of excommunicated parents best honor their parents or parents who are in need of church discipline or how Christian children best honor their parents who call themselves Christian, but attend a church that affirms immorality and are trending that way themselves. I know this is a weighty subject, but I haven't found a lot of helpful resources on this As uh, the situation that my wife and I are going through right now, any wisdom on this would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for your ministry, but even more thankful for shepherding faithfully over a local church. And yes, we love our local church. Yeah. (laughs) Our first Christmas, spending our first Christmas with them, we're singing Christmas carols at one of the deacon's homes tonight. Yeah. And And there's like
1: 50 people that are... Uh, yeah, Uh Said to attend He
0: doesn't have a large house And we, I think we're going to have 50 people show up For this carol yep. sing
1: We're going to be nice and warm
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well we're going to be nice and warm Because it's Arizona anyway
1: Yep <laughs> it, But it is supposed to be One of the cooler days And rainy So it'll be it'll Oh be that's like right Wintry for Arizona It is supposed to
0: rain <laughs> All day So we can't like Even move outside
1: Nope
0: Down outside <laughs> We're going to be all cramped In that living room
1: It'll be fun
0: we're gonna enjoy it. It's gonna be great. So anyway, back to your questions here. So yes. how how do you? Okay, so yeah, go ahead. No, you you. What were you gonna? No. I don't want to interrupt your train of thought because you can't get it back.
1: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. It, it is true. Okay, so so he's he's talking about um like not children who are in the home, but but like adult children. Yeah,
0: adult children. Okay, okay. right.
1: Now go ahead.
0: How can the children of excommunicated parents? <laughs> so you're talking about parents who have now had to be removed from the church because of sin that they refuse to repent of right how do you best honor your parents or parents who are in need of church discipline how can christian children best honor their parents who call themselves christian but attend a church that affirms immorality and are trending that way themselves so you really have you have a couple of different scenarios here how do you honor parents who have been removed from the church mm-hmm. and how do you honor parents who probably should be removed from the church Yeah, <laughs> because they are listening to errant doctrine or they refuse to repent of certain sins. Right now this, you're still following the pattern that Christ laid out in the church disciplinary process mm-hmm. that we read about in Matthew 18. Now I say you follow the pattern because if you're not attending the same church, it's going to be difficult to follow it to the letter.
1: Right. That's true.
0: Unless, unless it's the sort of a thing where the church that they're attending is a solid church. Doctrine is good. Mm-hmm. Good leadership. You can confront your parents. as children confronting your parents, but in an honoring way, in an honorable way. Right. As uh, Paul instructed Timothy Correct an older man as you would a father. Right. So you think about correcting your parents in a a, a reverent way, more so than you would correct somebody that's yeah. you know, the same age don't, or younger.
1: Don't belittle them like you're talking to a child.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You you don't you, want to be insulting.
1: Right. And and make sure that you have not really practiced ahead of time because you can't really practice a whole lot, but but have have run through certain phrases of how to open up the conversation mm-hmm. and how to um, get to the meat. Of yeah, the right, right. And so that way you know that how you are approaching it is respectful and in the most respectful way. Right. Because it's it's never easy. Approaching someone, telling them they're doing something wrong. In, in, it's not sure easy. Make sure your heart's in the right place, that you, you're doing it out of love for them. Yes, right. And then, usually, if you're doing it out of love for them, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So,
0: yes. Yeah, Matthew 12. Yes. So, it's not easy to confront anybody. No. But more so when it has to be your own parents. Yes. I mean, I've had to do this. I, yep. I'm going to be careful with how I say this because I don't you know want to broadcast anything about my parents, but it is, it is interesting being in a position of these are people who have trained me in the word. Mm-hmm. Like I've grown up spiritually under the tutelage of my parents. And here I am in a position where I'm basically parenting you in a certain sense. Yeah. You well, know, guiding. Guiding, right. Yeah. But yeah. but biblically, spiritually, sure. guiding. I'm also a brother in the Lord. Right. So in addition to being your child, I'm a brother. Right. And I'm also approaching this in my context. I'm approaching this from the fact that I'm a pastor. Right. And so if you were in my congregation, how would I have to deal with this with a person in my church? Mm-hmm. I have to add that in there too when it comes to these kinds of confrontations. But anyway, going back to let's say your parents are attending a solid church Mm -hmm. and you have to approach your parents about something. If they won't listen, if they don't repent, then you bring one or two others along Mm -hmm. so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, just as Jesus said in Matthew 18. If your parents then won't listen to them, Then you tell it to the church. Well, how do you do that if you're not attending the same church? Mm -hmm. You need to go to that church's elders. Yep. And you need to tell them, this is what's going on in my parents' life. I have confronted them on this. They won't repent. Here's people that can verify to you that this actually is a sin that they're guilty of and won't repent of it. And now we're giving it to you. And really, as their church... I know that you will care about this and you will want to help them in their sanctification that they may come to correction
1: mm-hmm.
0: and grow and, and uh, be, uh, be convicted and repent. Right. That's, of course, what you would hope to have happen. Right. So you're putting that in the court of the church that is in charge of shepherding them, mm-hmm. that has the responsibility of shepherding them. So that's if your parents are attending a solid church. Now, let's say they aren't. Right. And this is part of the problem. Yeah. They're attending an errant church, or they are attending a church that is even falling into sin. You can see the liberalism happening, and it's taking your parents right along with them. You still need to make some sort of a confrontation. Again, still on a respectful field, mm-hmm. but you are uh, you are understanding that the process can only go so far. Mm-hmm. You can't bring this to their church because their church is part of the problem. Right. So you're trying to make them aware and bring scripture with you when you do this. Yeah. The Bible says this. Your church says this.
1: It's very concerning that yeah. you, you're you noticing these vast differences and what the Bible is, says is important. And what their church is doing is complete opposite. Yeah. Just let them know you are concerned and you love them and you just you want the best for them. And the best thing for them is to be saved and God honoring.
0: So you have now now let's say because this was part of the office Calvinist's TOC's. This was part of TOC's question (laughs) as well. Okay. so he said, um, what what if your parents are excommunicated? Okay. what do you do in in that respect? Mm -hmm. Talk to their pastor.
1: Oh, yeah, that's good.
0: And get the word from their pastor. What were my parents disciplined for? What can I do as their child to help encourage them to repent Mm -hmm. and come back into fellowship with the body? Mm -hmm. As their child, you can do that. Go to them and say, Mom and Dad, I hope you will repent. But there is a certain fellowship that you can't have anymore Mm -hmm. if they have been excommunicated. Not to say that as your child, you can't ever speak to them again. But you, knew, you do need to be careful with how you fellowship with them, yeah. lest you make them feel like they're still part of Christian fellowship. Mm-hmm. We just had a disagreement with the elders of this church or something like that. Right. You don't want them to feel justified because then it, it in their points, disagreement.
1: It points to the church as it's the church's problem.
0: That's, that's because right. Because
1: everybody else is affirming that it's fine, that they're fine, that everybody's fine, except that church.
0: And that was the same sort of warning that I gave when we were going through those lessons on Matthew 18. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, uh, somebody that you know has been disciplined out of the church and you continue to be friends with them, Mm -hmm. then their feeling about it is oh, well, just it was just the elders bullying me. Yes. Look at how much I can get along with everybody else in the church. Right. That's not the instruction. The instruction is you are not even to eat with such a one. Right. And so you would communicate to your parents, here's why we can't have that fellowship as long as you are still in this sin that you won't repent of. Mm -hmm. And that hopefully will fill them with shame. Shame is a good thing if it leads to repentance. Yes. If it's shame over Sin that they've obviously done, right, and need to be convicted over it and repent.
1: But not, again, not bringing the shame on as if you were a child bullying, you know, your parents or whatever. Yeah, because I mean, there's there's times that my children correct me, and it's not in the most um, pleasant way. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I certainly try to res- not with
0: maturity when I they try
1: do. to respond well. And correct their correcting and be like, you know, it would be a lot more helpful and it'd go a lot further if you were to say it more like this, yes. you know, but just think about those things of, of how are you coming across. And if you do need to to work that out with your spouse, like, okay, how does this sound, you know, because it it sounds to you one way, right? but... To like say it out loud, it might come off completely different. And yeah. I know we've done that multiple times. Of how does how does this wording sound, you know? And but that's mostly in emails and things like that. Like you could be a little more chipper. <laughs> you sound kind of you know angry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, hearing a story about R.C. Sproul and his wife Vesta, uh-huh. and how he w- the uh, he would often ask her after he was done preaching. He would come sit down with her. And just silently look at her and say, was I kind? Mm-hmm. And that's a good question to ask your spouse. Yeah. If you are preparing yourself to have to confront your parents,
1: mm-hmm.
0: asking them, do, does this sound kind? Does this sound okay when I make a confrontation this way? Yeah. And then even after it's over to say, was I respectful? Did I handle that the way that I should have? Going back to what we just read in Psalm 7. Yes. So that you will even find those those places where you need to be sanctified Mm -hmm. and recognize where you need to reign your thoughts, keep them under control and in submission to Christ
1: and pray,
0: pray. Yes. pray, pray. pray. I mean, TOC, the best thing that you can do here is to consult your own pastor Mm -hmm. because your, your pastor knows you and may even know your parents Mm -hmm. better than these two podcast strangers, you know, know you. So ask this of your parents or your parents, ask this of your pastor as well. Yeah, your spiritual parents, yes. spiritual father, and ask how he might give you advice or counsel with regards to approaching this situation. And maybe with your pastor, you're able to give some more details as right. well. Here's the specific situation, and right here's where they're refusing to be corrected.
1: And and even your relationship, you can go into your relationship with your parents, like it's an open relationship, or you know, it's it's already rocky, or oh yeah, what you know, and and they will be able to advise you a lot better than we can
0: (laughs) this next question comes from Ashley hi Pastor Gabe and Becky Merry Christmas I pray your family is doing well and I want to thank you for your ministry I've learned so much from your podcast over the past year or so I have two questions for you which are unrelated okay I apologize for the length of both brevity is not my strength (laughs) not mine either if you can uh, if you can tell listening to the podcast First, you talked a little about heaven in one of your podcast episodes last week. And it got me thinking, I was born with one hand and always thought I'd get to have two hands when I get my glorified body one day. Hmm. But not too long ago, I heard someone say, and I can't remember who, it was on a podcast, but I don't remember if it was yours or not. Basically, that beauty is subjective and not all of our characteristics are a result of the fall. We might still have crooked teeth in heaven, for example. I don't think that came from me. I haven't said anything like that recently anyway. Yeah. It made me wonder if that means I'll forever be one-handed. If that's God's will, I know I will be okay with it and filled with joy in heaven. But I'm Mm -hmm. still curious. I know we can't fully know what heaven will be like as scripture doesn't tell us everything. But can you help me understand what scripture does teach about this? Hmm. So, we'll sit on that question first, and then we'll go to the next one. Okay. Well, we know by what is said in Philippians chapter 3, that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body mm-hmm. by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That's Philippians 3.21. Mm-hmm. We also have in scripture, pertaining to your condition specifically, mm-hmm Okay, you have the account of Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. Right. In Luke 6, beginning in verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now, a man with a withered hand is essentially, this is a man with no hand.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a
0: completely dysfunctional hand. Right. There's no muscle to it. There's no mass to it. He has something there that you would call a hand, but it, it's not functional. Not at functional. All. He, it's not useful to him. Mm-hmm. So in verse eight, Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at all of them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus. So, consider Jesus' question here. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? What did Jesus do for this man? He did good for him and he, he saved re- his life. And yeah, saved his life in the sense that there was also spiritual forgiveness that was given to this man, yeah. the forgiveness of sins. But he saves the man's hand, restores it, and makes it just as normal as the other one.
1: Right. And I mean he saved his life because he can now work,
0: yeah now he's got two good hands right. that he can work with mm-hmm. absolutely so th- so Jesus here okay. even calls this good mm-hmm. so will God restore your limbs give you the hand that you did not have uh, that that you did not have in glory? I truly believe he will because
1: it's doing good
0: it's doing good. it is transforming your lowly body to be like his glorious body yeah I mean, whatever our glorified bodies are going to be like, just like you said, Ashley, we can't know everything. Scripture doesn't tell us everything. There was a contemporary Christian song back in the 90s. Not the half has been told. A small part, not the right. whole. You know, right. So not everything, has, yeah. Yeah. not everything has been said to us. There's a lot of mystery to it. But what does a normal, healthy human body look like? You know the parts mm-hmm. of a normal, healthy human. And if someone doesn't have a limb, then you're going to say of that person, there's a deformity or there's something broken. And it's something that I truly believe God will restore when our lowly bodies are transformed to be like his glorious body. Mm -hmm. Would we think that the blind will still be blind in glory? No. Of course not. Jesus healed the blind. Mm -hmm. And his healing of the blind was to show that he gives even the spiritually blind Sight to see their sin and that Christ is the Savior who saves. Yeah. So these physical miracles that Jesus did were to point to something greater. Mm-hmm. Something that he does for each and every one of us, granting us salvation. There's plenty of people who are blind, plenty of Christians who are blind, who are not going to have their sight restored this side of heaven. Right. But we know that we will see him face to face. As said in 1 John Chapter three, we will see him as he is because we will be made to be like him. Yes. And so as Christ can see, hear, touch, feel, has a glorified body after his resurrection. So we will also receive the same. Now, one argument against that, if I might even play devil's advocate and say, but what about, (laughs) you know, Jesus, after he came back from the dead, had holes in his hands and feet. And a hole in his side where the spear had pierced him. Mm-hmm. That's technically a missing part of his body.
1: Yeah, that's there's, a deformity. There's holes I mean, there. Not not really a deformity, <laughs> no. but um, uh, not normal.
0: Yeah, it's not normal, right? <laughs> we we would normal. look at that and go, "How can that be?" I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's alive even though he's got these holes in him. <clears throat> Ask me to try to explain that, and I have no idea.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's true. I mean, maybe just to show that he is who he is, and he did go through everything.
0: Yes. But John the Baptist was beheaded. Does that mean that when we get to heaven, we're going to see old John walking around with his head in his hands? Well. (laughs) No. I
1: mean, nobody's going to look at him twice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So why did Jesus still have scars, and yet we would say that his resurrection body is not just scars, wounds, yeah, yeah, open wounds, yeah, right, and was still alive, even uh, even despite these things, or so
1: holes or because they're not really wounds at that point, you know,
0: whatever uh, they are, whatever yes, they are. yeah, right. You would still say there, there's something about I'm looking for a scientific term here, yeah. and there
1: is none, <laughs> something know?
0: about the body hasn't been healed or restored, he still has those scars, even yeah. though he's resurrected from the dead, and yeah, I can't explain that, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. But I don't think those who have been beheaded for the faith are going to be walking around with their head in their hands. Yeah. Or burned. Or burned. Right. Burned to ashes. Yeah. If we understand Philippians 3 that God has the power to subject all things to himself, Christ will restore your body. Then he can take even those who have been burned to ash and make them into brand new people again. Yes. He made Adam from the dust of the ground. He can restore the ashes to a living body that is going to be glorified and live in heaven in heaven forever with God amen so again there are things there that are mysterious I don't know that I can explain all of it, but I can say pretty confidently that you will have a normal functioning human body at least as, as we would consider the appearance of a whole body mm-hmm. you will have that in glory the when we are with body, Christ yeah. yes the heavenly body yes. I don't think that we're spirits. I don't think that we're just kind of this ethereal form, formlessness floating around. You know what I mean? Right. I called it a form, but really it would be formlessness.
1: It would. but um, Because it's a glorious body. Like, Mm -hmm. he uses the word body. Yeah, yeah.
0: And Paul elsewhere talks about how that our spirits who are with Christ are not yet whole. Right. It won't be until the body is resurrected and our spirits are reunited with our bodies.
1: Right, Yeah. So I don't know. curious minds want to know and we'll find out eventually.
0: That's right. <laughs> but I would be confident in telling you, Ashley, that you will have restored limbs yes. in glory. So the next question that Ashley asks on a completely different note, I have heard people I respect say that the issue of women pastors is a secondary issue. I've also heard it said that it's not a secondary issue, but it's a sin issue. I work with people that go to churches with so-called women pastors and even know a woman who says her and her husband are both pastors at the Nazarene Church, although I don't think she's a teaching pastor. I think they might call people in administrative roles pastor. No, the Nazarene Church does believe that women can be ordained a pastor. Yeah, they do. They can even be senior pastor. Mm -hmm. People who disagree on secondary issues like eschatology or infant baptism slash believers baptism can still fellowship with one another, pray together, etc. But what about this issue? How do we interact in a godly way with people who go to these churches or even call themselves a pastor? Well, our church absolutely would not partner with another church where a woman is a pastor. Mm -hmm. So, whereas... We as a Reformed Baptist church probably would partner in ministry with a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. So, mode of baptism and who can be baptized might be secondary issues, but this is not. This is more fundamental than that. Yeah. Because you have a direct command that is given in Scripture. That women are not to teach or exercise authority over a man, 1 Timothy 2.12. Mm-hmm. And they are deliberately disobeying what is explicitly said in Scripture. Yeah, And Paul doesn't just make the statement. He doesn't just say women can't be pastors. He specifically highlights the function of the pastor. She can't even function in that capacity of having teaching authority over men in the church. Mm-hmm. And then he grounds that in agreement with the created order for Adam was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor yet. She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So remember that when Adam was guilty of eating the fruit that God told him not to eat. Mm -hmm. Of course, Eve is the one who's tempted by the serpent. She eats first, but she gives it to Adam who is with her. Right. And when God confronts Adam about this, he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife Mm -hmm. and have eaten the fruit that I told you not to eat from, cursed is the ground because of you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So when a woman... Stands in the pulpit and has teaching authority over the men of the church. The sin in the Garden of Eden is being repeated. And the men there are giving up the roles of headship that God has granted for men to have. He intends for men to have headship Mm -hmm. in a marriage, which is, you know, as we talked about this week in Matthew chapter 19. Marriage is the first human relationship that God creates. Yeah. And in marriage, the husband has headship over his wife. Yes. And this is to be a picture of the way that Christ loves his church. Christ who has headship over the church. Mm-hmm. And so if we're reversing the role and we're putting women in authority and men are being subject to the women then we are doing something that is fundamentally at odds mm-hmm. with the way that God created men and women. That is why this is such a fundamental issue. Yeah. Now, now when we call it fundamental, we're not saying that it's a salvific issue. Right. Just because a woman is a pastor doesn't mean she's lost and going to hell. Right. But it is fundamental in the sense that Scripture explicitly prohibits it. Mm-hmm. And, and even in the roles that God has given to men and women, going back to the created order in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. That's where Paul puts this. He's, he's basically highlighting Genesis 1, 2, and 3
1: mm-hmm.
0: when he gives the explanation for why. Adam was formed first. Genesis 1, then Eve, Genesis 2 uh-huh. <laughs> and Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. So you're you're seeing a church that is deliberately ignoring God's created order and deciding their way is better
1: Right because God told um, Adam the the, the rules mm-hmm. for the garden. Before Eve was even created. The
0: the command to not eat of the tree was said to Adam and then Eve was created. Right. So Adam has. He
1: was the headship.
0: That's right. Like that was. He's the one who's responsible to teach and lead his wife. Right. And so again, in the church, when the woman is standing in the position of pastor, when she is the one who is leading the preaching and the teaching Mm -hmm. and has authority over men in the church. You're repeating the sin of the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. and that is that's a fundamental thing. You have a church that's basically saying, "Did God really say? Yeah, that women are not to be pastors." Mm-hmm. Which what was the devil's first words in Genesis three one? Genesis did God, God really? Did say? God really say that yeah. you can't eat of any, any of the of trees food? in the garden? Yes. Yeah. So, again, that's why it's a fundamental thing. That's why this is a little bit more than just disagreements that a Baptist would have with a Presbyterian mm-hmm. or, or something to that degree. Right. Um, we would not be in fellowship with a church that is that deliberately disobedient mm-hmm. to what God's word says.
1: So, so so what was the other part of her question?
0: Oh, the last part. How do we interact in a godly way with people who go to these churches or even call themselves a pastor? Well, yeah, I mean, I've had pastor friends of mine who are in churches that have women pastors. Mm-hmm. And I just simply tell them, I mean, you're wrong. Yeah. You need to repent of this. Yeah. You're you're gonna stand before God and have to answer for this. hmm I don't think you're going to go to hell over it. I can testify to these men having genuine relationships with God. Mm-hmm. I've had friends in my life who were women who were ordained pastors. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they're unsaved, but they are disobeying God. And they're going to have to stand before God and answer for that. Yeah. And remember that James 3.1 says not many of you should aspire to become teachers because you know that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Mm -hmm. And so God is going to hold those people who had put themselves in the positions of teachers, even if they were appointed to those positions as teacher, yet they're going to be held to a greater standard. And that should make us all tremble. Mm -hmm. That should make us all, you know. Come back to that self-examination we talked about in the very beginning. Where are my blind spots? What do I need to check? Yeah. Uh, But in this particular case, a woman pastor is, she's filled with pride. Mm -hmm. And I had somebody earlier this week even say to me that um, uh, uh, I've known so many strong women that have been pastors and you weak men just seem threatened by that. There has never been a strong woman pastor ever She lacks self-control. And in that instruction that you have there in 1 Timothy 2, that I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, the instruction that's given right at the head of that and at the conclusion of it is she must be self-controlled. So a woman who steps into a role that God did not mean for women to have lacks self-control. That's a lack of strength. She's not exhibiting strength. She's actually boasting. Yes boasting in herself. She's rebelling against what God has said, not able to control her own flesh, but instead pursuing her own desires instead of God's desires. Mm -hmm. I just preached on this this past Sunday. It is the sermon that's going to air on the podcast this coming Sunday. Mm -hmm. So be looking for it. The (laughs) 24th. Yep. On the 24th. That's right. I'm going to be preaching uh, from Matthew one and two on Sunday at my church since it's Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. But on this podcast, you will hear the sermon that I just preached this past Sunday. Yes, so that'll be out of
1: that. Anybody in the area is welcome to come.
0: Come on to Casa Grande. Yes, <laughs> join us at Providence Reform Baptist Church, which, by the way, uh, I've been meaning to get Becky to record some new liners for me. Yeah, so we have we have new fresh <laughs> we liners. Need to update
1: some. <laughs> That's right.
0: Plugging the church and everything, but you can find out more information about the church by going to providencecasagrand. Yes. and remember, Grand is spelled Grande
1: yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just all spell uh, we we just all pronounce it grand around here all right last uh, last question nope I don't believe I'm gonna get to this question this is somebody who was angry about my views of the chosen ah so I'll save this for another
1: time uh, yes please <laughs> well,
0: let me see here let me come back to some of these comments about uh, Christmas being pagan oh I lost the page there we go okay so I made the comment. Christmas is pagan. You know, I put that in quotes. Uh-huh. No, it's not. It's a celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And then the objector says, but it originated from paganism. No, it didn't. But even if it did, praise God that a formerly pagan feast day was hijacked and made a day to celebrate Jesus for the past 1700 years. And then <laughs> here was some of the comments that I got to this. Not all of these are objections. Some of them are are in agreement. Okay. Keith Foskey. I've been on his podcast. He's he's your Calvinist.
1: Yeah. That's
0: his handle on Twix. He said, yay, you right, homie. And then he posted uh, the interview that he did with another friend of ours, Chris Honeholes.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Where they did uh, an episode together talking about how Christmas is not pagan.
1: That's awesome.
0: <laughs> so look that up. Look for the the podcast Conversations with a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. With my friends, Keith Foskey and Chris Honeholes as they are talking about how Christmas is not pagan. Look up that podcast. Yeah, Brandy, friend of ours from First Baptist Church in Lindale. Yeah. She said, this is Robert's third year. Robert is her husband. Uh-huh. This is Robert's third year to read your book about this. It has become a tradition for him.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> 25 Christmas Miz and What the Bible Says is the book. You can find it on Amazon. Ben Armstrong said, my word, some of these replies, face palm.
1: <laughs> oh, yep. dear.
0: This is uh, Jay, who says he's from American Torah, which uh, that might mean he's Hebrew roots. Okay. That sounds like something Hebrew roots oriented. But anyway, he says, I'll follow God's instruction on this rather than any man's. I responded to him and said, you mean like the one where he says not to pass judgment on one another over which days one honors the Lord? Romans 14, five through six. <laughs> I don't think that's what he meant, but uh,
1: uh, probably not. <laughs> that was
0: how I responded to him. Let's see. Rob from Florida. He says, you cannot Christianize a pagan day. And then he quotes Job 14 four. who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. No one. Well, let's go to Job 14 here. Beginning in verse one, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? There is not one. Since his days are determined and and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Look away from him and leave him alone that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. So what is the unclean thing that's being talked about here in Job 14? It's a man.
1: Uh It's not
0: a pagan day. That's true. Yeah, (laughs) An unclean man cannot make himself clean.
1: That's true. That's
0: what that's talking about. It's not talking about redeeming days. We redeem days all the time. Uh Yes. On Sunday, you go to church and worship the Lord. Yes. Sunday, according to the pagans, is the day to worship what? The sun. The sun. That's why it's called Sunday. Right. And we've redeemed it to worship the sun. Yes. S-O-N. Yes. So let's rename it S-O-N day.
1: Yeah, right. Sunday. (laughs)
0: We'll do it that way. Monday. What did the pagans worship on Monday? (sighs) Ah. I don't remember. Mon moon, moon. <laughs> it was Moon Day. It's yeah. the
1: moon. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> they worship the moon. Uh, I gotta get better at
0: this. Saturday <laughs> was it was a day that they worship Saturn.
1: Yeah,
0: the god Saturn. Yeah. Thursday was Thor's Day. Yeah. So you have all these days that are named after these pagan deities. Yeah. Or the brightest lights in the sky and the day or the night that the pagans worshipped. Yeah. Do you ever think about on any Thursday? Oh, this is the day that's supposed to be dedicated to Thor. Yeah. Of course you don't think about that. Why? Because it's been redeemed for the glory of God. Doesn't matter what its name is. You live today unto the glory of God. Amen. First Corinthians 1031, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, even on Thursday. Yes. I I wish I didn't have to talk about that because now it's going to be brought to your mind. Oh, my goodness. This is (laughs) Thursday. Yep. (laughs) But you don't think about those things. You think about it being redeemed unto Christ. Yes. That you live for Christ. This, This gal, Meredith. Women in Apologetics is providing apologetics centered upon this topic the whole month of December. The pushback regarding Christmas not being pagan is real. Thankful for the work that they do. And I said, great to hear it. Would you please pass on this video? And I sent her the what video with 10 of the what videos that I've done debunking various Christmas myths. She said, I'd be honored to share uh, to share it both on Twitter as well as in WIA's community page, and I will post it tomorrow. Blessings.
1: Nice.
0: Appreciate that. This person who has no name is just the. 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 Okay. Jesus also wasn't born in December. He was actually born in the springtime. God only knows. Yep. <laughs> there's, there's some.
1: guesses. Yeah,
0: there's convincing arguments about him being born on either December 25th or January 6th, which were the two days that were proposed uh, the earliest, the t- the two earliest days that were proposed. Okay. By Hippolytus of Rome and Clement of Alexandria. Okay. So those two men came up with either of those dates. And then it was just December 25th, one out. Yeah. But then there are others that say, no, it was in the springtime. But God only knows. Yeah. I think there's various convincing arguments for either one.
1: And And I think we weren't supposed to know for a reason. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, otherwise, it'd be very clear in Uh, Scripture. uh, Yeah,
0: Otherwise, (laughs) the Lord would have told us right there in Scripture. Uh, This person says, I don't think Spurgeon celebrated Christmas. I don't actually remember what Spurgeon's views were of Christmas, but I could tell you, R.C. Sproul loved it.
1: Yes, that's true. He loved
0: Christmas. John MacArthur loves Christmas. Yes, he does. They do uh, great Christmas music and celebrations at Grace Community Church. Yes. This fellow, Peter... Quoting Augustine, a person who is a good and true Christian should realize that truth belongs to his Lord wherever it is found, gathering and acknowledging it even in pagan literature. Hmm. Yeah, you can certainly find evidence of pagans recognizing that God is real. Mm -hmm. So just like Paul quoted Epimenides in Acts chapter 17 When he said that, you know, even your own poets acknowledge that it's in him we live and move and have our being. Now, they might be attributing that to Zeus, but they at least recognize there is a higher power that we serve. Mm -hmm. There is something above us. Yeah. So you can see the evidence of that in their lives, although they're going to honor something wicked Mm -hmm. the created thing rather than the creator right but you still see evidence of the fact that they understand that there is a power greater than themselves Mm -hmm. and so as it said in romans 120 that his eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived in all that has been made so you should be able to look in some of the things that the pagans say and find evidence of that even among the heathens Mm -hmm. that they know god exists though they deny him right they they do not give thanks to god and their foolish hearts are darkened, as said also in Romans one.
1: Isn't isn't there um, maybe no? I think it was like King Saul who went and and asked for advice or advisors or something, and and then, um, it was from pagans, and they were like, "Why don't you go to your god or something like that?" Maybe it wasn't him.
0: Are you thinking of when he went to the uh, the witch of Endor?
1: Maybe did she did she say, "Why are you coming to me?"
0: Yeah, because. He had banished all the witches from the kingdom.
1: Right. That wasn't my point. The point was that they had acknowledged, like, whoever the advisor was had acknowledged your God says this.
0: Oh, oh, are you thinking of... um, I don't think it's Saul. Well, Balaam.
1: Yeah, maybe. Was it him? I thought for sure it wasn't him, so I wrote him (laughs) (laughs) off. He was my first thought.
0: Well, he didn't go to the Israelites... No. I mean, it was he went to a pagan king. Uh, Balaam was being summoned by the king of the Moabites. Okay. And so he was supposed to give a curse to the people oh, of Israel. Right,
1: right, right, right.
0: On behalf of that king. But what he ends up doing is actually issuing a blessing to Israel.
1: Yes, I think that's what it was. There was just something there that was like, you know, that, that it was very, it was the whole story. Like, right. The story was. That Three
0: Three times, and this is actually Christmas-oriented, this story. Oh, yeah. Because three times he gives a blessing to Israel, and one of those blessings is that a star will rise out of Judah and a scepter out of Israel. There and you so go. And so that's there's going to be a star that's going to lead you to a king.
1: Yes. Yeah. So awesome.
0: No, that was good. I couldn't remember uh, quite what you were re- referencing. I yeah. hope that's it.
1: Yeah, it is. It is, that one. But like I said, I thought... For sure, that wasn't it, because I always reference that story.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this person, uh, Chapman, says, yes, Christmas is pagan, and Deuteronomy 12 clearly forbids us from worshiping God using pagan holidays. Leviticus 23 clearly forbids us from using any holiday not explicitly listed in Leviticus 23 to worship God. And Deuteronomy 13 says teaching against God's law is teaching idolatry. Well, Hanukkah is not one of those holidays that is listed in Leviticus 23, and yet Jesus attended a Hanukkah celebration. Oh, yeah. The Festival of Lights. Yep. So, yeah, that's that's not true at all. Also, the state, what, what is it? Uh, Christmas is pagan. Deuteronomy 12 clearly forbids us from worshiping God using pagan holidays. What pagan holiday was on December 25th? Name it. Yeah. Nobody uh-huh. can. Yeah. No one can. There are so many varying opinions on which pagan holiday it was on December 25th. The fact that nobody knows testifies that it was never a pagan holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, many will try to say that it was a feast of Saturnalia. That's the one that they try to attribute it to most often. Yeah. But the feast of Saturnalia ended days before Christmas. Oh, yeah. So it was not that day. Huh. I mean, is there any day on the calendar? 365 days a year. Is can you find a single day that was never a pagan holiday?
1: Not anymore. <laughs> Especially because they have like five holidays for each day well, yeah, of the you've, year. Yeah, you have got
0: the month of June that's dedicated to celebrating gay pride. Yeah. So you can't you can't redeem any of those days. We can't go to God and worship him on any of the Sundays in June because that would be that would be paganism.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's absurd. You love making that argument in opposition to Christmas to make you feel smart online.
1: But it doesn't apply anywhere else. Yeah,
0: you don't uh, you don't readily apply that same sort of logic anywhere else. Yeah. This person, Agiri, that is an interesting response. I can understand that it is inquisitive as a game of laser tag. The objective is to capture the defending team's flag. As soon as you capture that base, the next objective is to build on that building block. That's an interesting analogy. Okay. So it's like we're playing capture the flag with December 25th. And right now the Christians hold it and have for the last 1700 years. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) This fellow Ricky says many customs and symbols associated with Christmas, such as decorating evergreen trees, lighting candles and celebrating with feasts were part of pre-Christian slash pagan winter solstice celebrations in various cultures. Christians assimilated to this and called it their own. Nope. None of the celebrations at Christmas that are associated with the celebration of the incarnate Son of God coming into the world have any connection whatsoever with any of those winter solstice celebrations. The winter solstice is on December 21st. Yeah. It's not on the 25th. Right. So you could probably make the argument that the Catholic Church sometime in the 4th century decided that they wanted to have a holiday that was in competition with the winter solstice we don't want them to go have their pagan festivals we want them to come and celebrate with us instead right maybe there was something like that but even that you're you're making that argument subjectively show me in history where that was the intention right of coming up with christmas either way it doesn't matter we're not worshiping the same thing mm-hmm. on december 31st or sorry december 21st uh-huh. the first day of winter the pagans are celebrating on the darkest day of the year worshiping false gods mm mm-hmm. mhm but on December 25th, what are we celebrating? That the light of God came into the world. Amen. And the objective is completely different. There, yes. is, there is nothing about what was being worshipped on a pagan day that's being brought into this Christmas holiday. Even the evergreen tree thing. The Christmas tree does not symbolize the worship of plants. The, the Christmas tree is actually a remembrance that we used to be pagan.
1: Oh, yeah. So the Christmas
0: tree is not pagan. It's a symbol that we used to be pagan. And even Martin Luther recognized it for that same reason. Yeah. It is un- It is believed, now this is a myth, we don't know this for sure, but it's believed that Martin Luther was the first to decorate the Christmas tree with lights. Oh, yeah? There was already a Christmas tree in many German homes at that time because of Boniface cutting down the oak of Thor. Right. Donner's oak. And so this this was a common... Lutheran or, or not yet because it was Martin Luther, but right. yeah, a, a common German tradition was what I meant. Okay. And so he would have a fir tree and they were mostly decorated with like beads or ribbons or, you know, something to that degree. Uh-huh. He may have been the first one to decorate it with lights. So clipping little candles on it. And thinking, yeah. Sounds like an incredible fire hazard.
1: That's what I've been thinking.
0: <laughs> but that's that's how the legend goes. Maybe Luther was the first one to decorate Christmas trees with lights. So this person, sour ticker.
1: <laughs> sour ticker.
0: Besides the fact that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, Christians may have hijacked it, but it still celebrated the pagan way by many. And that was a point that we made at the very beginning. Uh-huh. So there are some people that, I mean, they're pagans. Yeah. So they treat Christmas as pagans, as a pagan. Right. right. It, it's not a day to honor the Lord. Yeah. It's the day I get the day off and I can open gifts and right. you know, things like that. So they do celebrate it in sort of a pagan way. Right. Rather than the Christian way. But you can't get past the fact that Christmas is named for Christ. Yeah. Christ. Christ. His yes. name is right there in the yeah. name. And so it is a, a recognition of the Son of God becoming incarnate, coming into the world, as said in First Timothy one fifteen, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. And that's what we remember at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. He is not a baby anymore. No. He became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God. He is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. All who believe in him will not perish in judgment, but will have everlasting life. Amen. That is the testimony of the gospel we proclaim not just at Christmas, but all the time.
1: Always, yes.
0: So humble yourselves before the Lord, worship Him, and you will be saved. Amen. That's our program for this week. Yeah. If you would like to send an email in, it is when we understand the text at gmail dot com, and we will not have another Q and A until do 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 do. Let's see, because next week we're going to do our year in review. Uh huh. The week after that, January fifth. We're counting down the most popular what videos for 2023. Uh Uh-huh. And then, so it won't be until January 12th. Okay. That we'll do another Q&A. But uh, still want to hear from you. We'll receive your questions. Becky and I read them. We'll lay in bed and like I'll pull up emails and read them to her.
1: (laughs) Yep. So (laughs) After the kids go to bed. That's
0: right. (laughs) So we still love to hear from you even though we may not do another Q&A from listener questions until January 12th. But again that email address is when we understand the text at gmail.com.
1: Mhm.
0: All right, let's finish with prayer. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of year. What a great time to be reminded in this season that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's it's great that it appears on the calendar, that it's on people's thoughts around this particular season. It gives an open door for us to share the gospel with somebody else. But may it not just be limited to this season that we rejoice over these things all the time. We are grateful for God putting on human flesh and dwelling among us, as said in John 1, is as much a Christmas text as Matthew 1 or Luke 1 is. But we exalt God for the kindness that you have shown to us in Christ, our Savior. And I pray we do this not just at Christmas, but all the time, living holy lives unto the Lord with all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.
0: Merry Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas from your friends at When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary that that we may help you, uh, that we may grow. Merry Christmas from your friends at When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary that we may grow in our love for Christ, who came into the world to save sinners.
0: Here is your peach tea. Thank you. I had peach tea this morning at Cracker Barrel, too. Uh Uh-huh.
1: I bet that was a little more fancy, huh?
0: No, mine tastes as good. Yeah? Yep. Sweet. Sweet peach tea, that's right.
1: Mm hmm. Ah. Copy? Nope. Not copy. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Walking in my winter underwear.
1: So gross. <laughs> 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 Is my mic on?
0: Uh, yes, you are. You are on.
1: Oh, is my headset still down low? Oh, is that what it is? Because of my migraine last week. Could be. My nose is stuffy. I'm sorry. Check, no check, things. check.
0: Testing? Testing. Yeah, that's better. Do you need to move that closer to you?
1: No, because my nose is stuffy.
0: <laughs> okay, well, you're going to speak up. You'll have some energy.
1: <clears throat> that's what this is for.
0: <laughs> okay, great. We're in Arizona now. I don't need winter underwear. <laughs> I
1: know. Well, if we go up to the mountains, maybe. <laughs> Which is only like, what, two hours away?
0: Yeah. An hour yeah, to the right.
1: nearest. An hour to the nearest. And then two hours to like the more grandeur.
0: Yeah. Uh, somebody told me, I think it was Josh told me, I need to talk to. Josh told me I need to talk to Josh mm-hmm. <laughs> about the closest beach to here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
1: Mexico Beach. Mexico Beach. Yeah. I've been like everybody references that. And I'm like, yeah, but we need our passports.
0: Do we have to get the kids' passports to go to the beach? Mm, that could be pricey. It's
1: going to be. <laughs> but I'd rather come, you know, have them come back to the U.S. <laughs> than and not get stuck there. there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All
0: right. Are you ready?
1: Uh, somewhat.